This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Phillies Backstage. Tom Burgoyne along with... John Brazier, Director of Fun and Games. And Tom, I'm very excited for our guest. We, uh, we've, we've been staying with baseball for a long time, and uh, I think we both came up with a great idea to reach out to the guest who's yeah. on the air now who obviously knows baseball. And we both... I've worked with them for 28 years. You've worked with them for... Yeah, over 30, 30 years. Over 30 we years. started the same year, I think. And uh, Angela started, I think, in 89. I'm going to find that out uh, at WIP. And, uh, yeah, I started with the Phillies the same year. Well, let's bring him on right now. Angela Gataldi, how you doing, Angelo? Hey, guys, great to be on. I heard a lot of great things about this podcast. Well, thank you <laughs> for the snow job. <laughs> yeah. I appreciate our, that. Our one listener gave you a call and, uh, and uh, you know, told you all about it, huh? No, Rhea did. I yeah, Rhea. I was just kidding. Was it Rhea or Cindy, you know? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I wish it was Cindy. I, I love Cindy. I, I know. I Thankfully, we all do uh, see Cindy all the time still. She uh, she's, hasn't completely disappeared. Thank God. We love Cindy. Good. Yep. Uh, thanks for joining us, Andrew. i got to ask you, I mean, you're, you're, you are slumming it with us on a podcast. I mean, here you are. You've been in radio for over 30 years. You know, you had to deal with, uh, you know, ratings, you know, developing a sponsor, you know, or developing a fan base and sponsors. And, you know, uh, and here we have, they give two knuckleheads like us a podcast. It's got to tick you off a little bit. No, for all the times that the fanatic has been part of uh, things that we have done at WIT and even at my uh, daughter's wedding. Now, are you kidding me? And John Brazier, my God, how many guests has he lined up for us and and um, basically uh, told very dark stories about <laughs> me that they then confronted me with on the air, that kind of stuff. It's, it's only fair that I return the favor, guys. Come on. And John's it's given you a lot of d- good, dirty jokes over the years, too. So, you know. off, off air, uh, yes. <laughs> off air, yeah. If they were on air, I wouldn't have been on air. <laughs> well, that Ange- wouldn't have lasted long. Angela, you mentioned your daughter. i got to go right. Do you remember spring training? This is probably about 15 years ago, if not longer. And your, uh, this is your stepdaughter, who was very young at the time. And she went back to Gail and said, uh, Mom, John Brazier must have been hot back in the day. <laughs> oh, well, that was like 15 years ago, so I'm really decrepit now. <laughs> well, yeah, I've seen you. You are. That's accurate. Yeah. No, <laughs> let's be honest, John. In your day, you were a killer, man. Yeah. You had it. You had it. But that's, well, fortunately, you, you found a great wife and uh, then, then really decayed quickly. Exactly right. Yeah, he's going great. He's, he looks like old man in the sea across from me right here, Angelo. It's uh, it's not a good look, but uh, uh, Angelo, we you know when we have people on, we love you know just kind of going back and how their career started. Uh, it's fascinating, and you know you're the, the, we've been lucky enough, John and I, right, John? We've had like the, the people who are the best in their fields, you know, no matter what, whether it's sports or media, and uh, it's really kind of fascinating. And you know, I know uh, you know you grew up in Rhode Island; that's uh, pretty well known. But uh, I want to know just. Uh, you know, what were you like as a kid? Um, incredibly nerdy, um, but not that successful even at being a nerd. Like, <laughs> I went to a really good high school, but I never could ascend to the actual presidency of the chess club. I made it to the vice president of the chess club. So even among the nerds, I was not quite good enough. <laughs> now, so, but, but I guess it, I developed kind of a grudge as I said I was uh, I, no, I, I didn't go to my prom because my cousin turned me down right <laughs> I mean I I did not I was not real successful back then um, but I guess over time when I got to college I kind of uh, you know felt myself a little stronger a little more confident as I got older but 
in high school, it was nerd city, man. It was bad, really bad. <laughs> and, but I, you know, but how about uh, like the uh, your your sense of humor? Like, I mean, could you at least crack up your classmates, or that didn't really start happening until college, or that didn't happen until uh, you know you got on WIP? Where, where did you develop that? Honestly, no, not it didn't. If, if you went back and asked the kids I was in high school with, no, I was a non-entity. Honestly, I really was. I was really shy. I did very little extracurricular stuff. I was a really good student. I was obsessed with grades. You know, like that was it. But my sister was the same way. She was really nerdy. She was smarter than me. She had gone to the same school four years earlier. And the teachers, even in that regard, like the teachers would go, I can't believe you're her, her, her brother. She was so much smarter than you. <laughs> well, I was pretty much wall-to-wall four years a loser in high school. I went, I didn't even apply to a college, right? And this was a school you in a lot of colleges in high school. And I just went to the state school, University of Rhode Island, because I, it, 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 I didn't want to do anything. I didn't know where I was going. I, I had no direction. And then when I got to college, they put me on the same floor in the dorm with a whole bunch of the cool kids from high school, the athletes. I was, my roommate was a scholarship football player at the University of Rhode Island. It was just a quirk that I got in with all these cool guys. And after they stopped making fun of me, they raised my cool quotient a couple of notches. And that's when things started to go better for me. All right, so you grew up in, in Providence. So were you a... Yep. Uh, I, I'm pretty sure you grew up a Yankees fan because you're right in the middle right there, yeah. I guess, Red Sox or Yankees, right? You can go kind of either way. Right. I'm, I'm assuming your dad your dad was probably a Yankees it, fan? My, um, all the Italian people in Rhode Island and Providence were um, Yankees fans because they all loved Joe DiMaggio. Right. And that was my father. So, yeah, the Italians usually were Yankee fans, all the rest of the people, especially like the Irish people. They were all big Red Sox fan. So, so did, it was contentious all the way. Nice. So did you grow up a huge sports fan in general? Like did you follow yeah. uh, the Celtics or I don't know who your basketball team was or your hockey team? Uh, but you were a big Very sports much. fan growing up. Huge um, Yankees fan. Huge Yankees fan. Huge Sixers fan because I loved Will Chamberlain. Really? And when I was a little kid, I just loved him. My dad took me to a – he actually did play exhibition games once in a while at the arena in Providence, and I, I was mesmerized watching Wilk one night, and I just fell in love with him. He's always been like my all-time favorite athlete. You so, hear- yeah, big basketball, big, big baseball. Football kind of came along a little bit later. I'll tell you something funny. My father-in-law uh, went to Germantown Academy, and he, literally I just found this out for the first time last week for a dinner. He told me he played against Wilt. Now my really? my father in law wow. is five foot, you know, eight, <laughs> five foot nine. He's my he's my size. Yeah. And he played against Wilt, and I looked at him without you know trying to insult him. I was like, really? That must have been, not really been much of a match right there. Overbrook High played Germantown Academy. Yes, I think it was Wilt against five, you know, whatever prep wow. school kids. Did, no. did he have a kid on his shoulders? Yes, I guess he did. Apparently, John John people don't remember him anymore. But man, was he great? Mm, he was right. so great. And so charismatic, God, I love him. I still love him. I got to meet him many years later, and I, I was like a schoolgirl. Mm. I just couldn't get over that nice. I was meeting a little chancellor. Nice. So, I know, obviously, I know you went to Columbia uh, post-grad uh, to get your journalism right. degree. But when you were at right. uh, URI, were you, did you know you were going to, at that point, you are going to want to go into journalism? Or what, were you a liberal arts major? What was your focus in, in college? I was, I was kind of on a writer's track. I knew I had as a writer and I was so University of Allen was a party school and it was really really easy so I got through the whole thing in two and a half years right so I did go one summer and and I took um, seven credit seven courses per semester you're not supposed to take five and I, I breathed through it it really was very easy and and then right after I got done there I got hired I was already married because I couldn't believe any woman would sleep with me. So the first one to kid, <laughs> yeah. I married her. Right. So I was married just after I turned 21. She was still 20. And we got hired. Um, as, uh, we were the resident in 
a um, sorority there, a Jewish sorority, Sigma Delta Tour. And we were the house parents. We had our own apartment. We had free rent, and they paid us a couple of thousand dollars a month to oversee the girl. But I was almost the same age, you know? And it was primarily Jewish, and there were like six girls there. And we spent four years doing that. In the fourth year, after I'd worked at a newspaper in Southern and South Kingston, Rhode Island, um, then I got into Columbia, and the fourth year I, I kind of commuted on the weekend. But those, that was a sandwich four-year period where I stayed on campus and oversaw these girls, and, and, and not only oversaw them, but saw them. <laughs> they ran around a lot. And so it was a very, very educated. I learned more in those four years than the previous two and a half when I was a student there. So that set you up for wing bowl in the down the <laughs> yeah, road, right? <laughs> yes, exactly. Called I was already scouting back then. Yeah, they, you called them all individually and uh, invited them to the first wing bowl. Uh, did yep. you always like to write, Angelo? Yeah, uh, from when I was a little kid, I just that was always my thing. Um, I, I, I just you know I don't. It's hard for me to. I can't throw you up. I guess the best thing I say is I read a lot. I've read my whole life. And reading um, really made me want to write. And I just wrote and wrote and wrote whenever they gave me a chance to write. Uh, and most people would dread a paper. I love papers. But when I was in college, I wrote lots of papers for other people. I just liked to uh, actually sit down and write it. So it was, uh, it was a pretty obvious thing to me that I was going to like to write. And how about sports writing? Did you have, uh, would you gravitate to certain sports writers and uh, follow them? Well, the problem was after I went to Columbia, I ended up going back to Rhode Island because my wife was there, family was there, and she wanted to be there. And it was Rhode Island that got locked down. So I got into the, my, my hometown paper, the Providence Journal, but there were no, no one ever left the sports department there. Mm. So I couldn't get a job as a sports writer. So I was trying to plot how I was going to make this conversion. They were, they, I was a general assignment reporter for a while. I was covering police things and things like that. And I was doing well enough so the executive editor called me in and he said, what do you want to do? And I said, I'm going to probably be leaving for another newspaper because I want to write sports. And he made a deal with me. He made a bargain with me. He said, I'm trying to launch this thing called Action Line. And if, you're, if you give me one year doing this action line, I guarantee you a spot in the sports department. You will be a sports writer. So for one year, I had to call businesses up and basically blackmail them into giving people money back for problems they had had with the store and writing it up in a column, action line. And that was the bargain I made. And after the 52nd week, I walked into the guy's office that you're done, you can be a sports writer. And that's how I made it. I would have never made it into sports in Rhode Island if I didn't do that. Nice. That's a good deal right there. And then I know you were, uh, you, you got a chance to cover the Celtics back in the uh, back in the early days. Yeah. Is that right? Uh, how was that? That was you, you were dealing with uh, Red that Tommy, and yeah, and Tommy Heinsohn and John Havlicek. Like, did you know all those guys? Um, uh, excuse me. Tom, I'm not that freaking old, right? <laughs> <laughs> no, when I was... <laughs> What are you doing to me? Uh, no, it was it was Larry Bird. And, oh, and, um, oh, I thought it was Parrish. Walking for a while, Parrish. You know, Robert Parrish was, was actually a guy I often went to uh, for closer stuff. He's a really nice guy. But no, those were some great Celtic teams. Yeah. But they, um, I liked them a lot more than they liked me. <laughs> I, I started off on the wrong foot with Larry Bird. He came to visit something in Providence. Shortly after he had signed his first contract with Celtic, I was assigned to, to, to get a story from him. I guess I overhounded him. So he started telling me a story that he had just signed a five year deal with the Celtics. And, then, and, and he said to me, after the five years, I'm moving back to French Lick and I'm going to be a gym teacher. And um, it seemed like he was being sincere. I taped the interview. I had it on tape. So I taped the story back to my boss. 
And Larry Bird was, I mean, he was a great college player, but oh, no one yeah. knew yet how great he would be with the Celtics. And, and um, I said, I got a hell of a story for you. And Larry Bird just told me, this is the only contract you'll ever have in the NBA. So the guy looked at me like, you got to be out of your mind. He said, I got it on tape. Do you want to hear it? He listens to it. He goes, write it up. Wow, this is going to be amazing. So I write the story, top of the sports section. Larry Bird, exclusive. Wow. This is my first <laughs> big score. <laughs> but he he didn't mean a word of it. He just, he was doing it to entertain himself because he hated, I guess he hated the way I, you know, I could be kind of a jerk when I was, hey, come on, Larry, what's the story here? Give me a story, pal. You know? <laughs> yeah. and, and, and the next day he was canceled every <laughs> Oh, my gosh. Every word. But then, you know, then I was covering the team, and I would show up in a locker room and he'd give me the stink eye. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, I, so things were not good, and then, I don't know, I started writing columns. And I wrote columns the way I do the show now, WIP, and, and um, Bill Streets didn't like what I was running. He was the coach. So he had me banned from the press table. I showed up for the playoffs, John, and and. We have, you know, I was a major newspaper. Providence Journal was like the third highest circulation paper covered in the Celtics. And I looked down at the press table, right, you know, court side. And my thing, my badge is gone. And they, I said, Where my, where's my seat? And they went, oh, a Bill Fitch had you reassigned. And they put me up in the nosebleed, nosebleed. <laughs> really? Wow. <laughs> wow. No, they did. So, but what Fitz didn't realize is that I was a bad guy then, too. So, I knew Bob Ryan, who's a great writer. Yeah, the Boston Globe. Yep, yeah. The Boston Globe. So, I said to Bob, I, I found Bob, and I said, Bob, I'm not down here anymore. Fitz kicked me off. He what? Bob Ryan gathers all the main Boston writers around, and I hold an impromptu press conference. <laughs> <laughs> and I basically said, they said, what did you write? And I said, I don't, I, I told them, I, don't, I had ripped, I had ripped those pitch for starting to use chair. And um, <laughs> I got written up the next day. Nobody even knew who I was until the fall. And they wrote me up and they basically went, Bill Fitch, Bands Reporter. It was a scandal. I got called by the owner, Harry Mangurian, personally apologizing to me for Fitch. <sighs> And reinstating me at the table, and at the end of the year, not because of this necessarily, he was already on the outs with Fitch himself. Fitch gets fired. Now it looks like I got the coach fired. <laughs> <laughs> and this is how, you know, it seemed like my whole career, even when I was a writer at the Providence, I tended to find controversy. And right, I yeah. guess that was all rooting for what I ended up doing, but I was kind of even there. The people were looking, who is this guy? Why is he going to have trouble? That's great. So did that, in a sense, help you then get down to Philadelphia? Because I know you worked. Yeah. Uh, so what? Well, how, how did that well, transpire? All right. But a, a year after that, um, they had moved me into column. I was writing sports columns here. And I wrote a column about Thurman Munson. And it was an innocuous column. He had just passed away, and I was trying to do some sort of a tribute. The concept of the column was, all we ever want to do is, is turn people into heroes. I, it's what I hated about Rhode Island, that there was all this hero worship, this mm. figures, and I read it with a quote. All I ever want to be remembered for is the guy who went first to say it. And it was Thurman Munch's quote. He didn't want the acclaim. He didn't want all the outpouring love for him that he got when he passed away in that tragedy. I wrote the column. Um, a few days later, I got a call from the sports editor at the Philadelphia Inquirer. They submitted it for an award. It won a national award. Hmm. And um, the guy, Jay Searcy, called me and he said, uh, I'd like you to come down and interview for a job in Philadelphia. Hmm. I said, absolutely. You name it, I'm down there. Because at that point, I felt like, you know, I wasn't up so much further. I wasn't so much problem. Um, he then called me 19 months later. 
<laughs> I had given up. Hmm. I was actually sending out my clips. I, I, the Baltimore Sun, I had decided I was going to leave my hometown. And that's when he called hmm. just by accident. He said, come on in here. I did an interview, and then he hired me. Bang. And that's how I got to fill it up. And that's he how hired you... me yeah. 19 months after his initial contact. Yeah, and that was uh, I uh, 1983 ish, I guess, and then eventually yeah, yeah. You, you get uh, you're you're the beat writer for the Eagles, and Angela, you were covering the Eagles during uh, a time where you know it was probably the most fun to cover the Eagles because you got to, to cover Ryan. Buddy Ryan and those guys. I mean, how how much did Buddy hate you? <laughs> well, I gotta I gotta go back one step because yeah, yeah. when I first came to town, I had experience covering basketball, football. And, and uh, baseball. Uh, I had covered the Red Sox quite a bit too when I was up there. And I had covered the longest game at the pocket, the 33 inning game that they played. And it's still the longest game that was ever played at eight and a half hours. And, um, and, and they, so they brought me in and they, and, and they get, they assigned me hockey, which I had not covered <sighs> ever one game up in my life. Right. And that year was bad. All right. <laughs> Al Morganti became my confidant because they took him off the beat that year to cover the 1984 Olympic Games in L.A. So Al was telling me all the angles to cut. You know what Al was. And um, I infuriated down. The, the story that got me um, attacked by the coach, Bob McCammon, was actually Al's issue. Al, the, the block. He's always behind the, it. Right? Let's play no, now. No, he is. You gotta hear. And, and Al has never acknowledged this, but he knows it's true. So Al loves the Bruins, and he knows the GM Harry Sanders. Yeah. So there's a fight in the game. I'm the writer. Al's just there because Al loves us. He's not writing. And 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 I, and there's a big fight in the game, and I'm running down to get quotes from the Flyers locker room. And I'm back up pounding the story out. And I go, oh, I got a great quote for you from Harry Sendon about what a jerk Bob McCammon is. It gives me a quote. And I stick it in the story. Now I go the next morning to practice, to shoot around, whatever it was the next day. And McCammon eats. He's eating these powdered donuts. He's got powder on his mouth. He throws down the donut, jumps up. He's got skates on, guys. And he's chasing me. I'm running away from him. <laughs> and he's just, he's trying, he wants to, he's trying to physically attack me for what I wrote of the Harry Sendon film. And Tim Kerr is walking out. And Tim Kerr sees what's going on. And he grabs McCammon. I, I would have been dead that minute at the practice facility. In Voorhees, New Jersey, he was going to kill me. Wait, so Al, Al just made up the quote? Was it totally made no, up? No, no, the quote was real, but it infuriated McCammon, and he wanted to respond to the quote. Yeah, right. And I didn't have time. I was on deadline. Right. So he just got so angry. He didn't sleep all night. And he attacked me, and then I said, Al, and I said, Al, your quote is what got him going. He said, no, he hated you anyway. So he would never have done that to me. He hated you anyway. You did it. I had nothing to do with it. So things didn't change. When you came to Philadelphia, you were still uh, in the middle of it all, huh? Always. I just always happened. So at the end of the year, I took the beat back. I never looked back. I never did any more hockey. Because I didn't even know the game. I faked it for a year. I used to go to Tim Curry and say, Tim, we not, but I don't know what's going on. And he, he got me through the year. But and then they signed this to the Eagles. That's how I ended up with Buddy Ryan. Wow. Yeah. And then then we go to I guess it's IP starts eighty eight, right? And I guess you got there yes. shortly after yes. I know Brookshire, yeah, Tom Bigby, I guess, was there. Um how yep. did that transpire no, where you went from the where you went from the uh, you know, the beat writer side right. to the radio side? Well, um that was Al too. Same deal. All right. Uh, they, they just got the sports format. Um, Al says, um, why don't we get a side job? We can make a few bucks. So I said, well, what do you want to do? He said, what, look, we've done radio interviews. It shouldn't be that hard. You know, we'll do our own show. So he goes to Berkshire. We, he gets a meeting with Berkshire. Berkshire has never been a radio. Pro- he's not a, he's not a programmer. He's just there starting up a new format. 
and it just started in New York a couple of months earlier. And Al goes in there, and you know Al, he's pitching. He's got nothing. You understand? <laughs> Al doesn't even prepare. No, yeah, he's not Al's prepared. Gonna, Al's <laughs> going to improvise when he gets in with Brookshire. But he brings me along. We go into the office. He sits down. Brookie's the greatest guy you'll ever meet. He loves everyone. And, and Al goes, Brookie, we would like to have an hour show every day um, in the morning in which we would talk about all the things that we're covering. And we'll include the other inquirer sports writers. And Brookie is buying all of these. He's loving it. And he goes, yes, yes, yes. Um, and, and this was like a third year Friday. And, and Al's kitchen is doing And they have so little programming. Thing. Brookie says, you've got it. Nine to ten every morning. The morning sports page. And we went, wow, this is great. And he went, show up Monday, you started. And we went, wow, that's unbelievable. Two days later, we got a, we got a show. Right? Nothing, no promotion, nothing. We got it. Little do we know when we come on the Monday, um, working, there was no professional broadcast. His concept, which Al had not really flushed out because he was making up as he went along, was to just put two reporters in there to do the show themselves. We didn't know how to go to break. We didn't know how to do anything. We went on and made complete asses of ourselves for at least several weeks before any of us picked up any of the basic formatics of doing a radio show. But it was fly by the seat of your pants all because, uh, and, and we all said, he says, how much do you want? This? And Al goes, um, how about $75 for the hour each guy. And Bookie goes, oh, yeah, that's fine. No problem. Now I'm thinking, we could have gotten way more right. than that. Yeah, yeah. So I tried. I go, oh, I'm sorry. That was, that was just quote me the half hour fee. If we're doing an hour, we would like 150. <laughs> You know, and you didn't we know got what, 75. You didn't know what you were doing then, and I just heard the radio show this no. morning. Al doesn't know what he's doing <laughs> yeah, 33 right. years Nothing later because he started doing a commercial when, when Wechter had already yeah. pressed a commercial. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> he's still right. flying this by the seat of his 30, pants. 30 years later, he pays attention to nothing. <laughs> well. Nothing. But I would have never gotten in the radio. I probably wouldn't have gotten past the flyers I ever did to get me sick. Al's really been there. Every step of the way, that's the awesome. minute I moved in to fill it up, yep. every that, That's awesome. And what's great about that story, Angelo, is it just kind of happened by accident and, you know, winging it and flying by the seat, seat of your pants. I mean, all the good stuff comes that way, I think. And uh, But whose idea was it then to um, uh, parry with Brookie? All right, that was, that, that was when I left out. <laughs> exactly. Um, Two years into it, I don't know this until much later, but um, two years into it, Tom Bigby um, calls me in and goes, um, we're going to need to pair Brookie up with somebody who's interviewing high school coaches. He's doing a lot of stuff that's hurting the ladies. We need you there to be there to not only offer some negative vibe to all the positive. Yes. Brookie left everyone, and he would do whatever helped one person he would do on the show just for the person. That's all he was about. He was about he loved people and all that. So the minute I got there, I, I should have realized that I was being set up to enjoy bookshop. Yeah, yeah. And right. boy, boy did I ever. <laughs> I mean it was there was some bumpy rides there. Like one time he he booked major gas. The guys no one else could book. Because yeah. everyone loves him. So one time, he books a Bobby Knight. Right? This is the first year we're there. And, you know, Brookie, here's the thing people didn't know about Brookie. He worked his ass off. Brookie, unlike Al, he prepared for hours for every shot. That's how I learned, you know, obsessive preparation. Yep, I've seen it. So, so oh, he was he was a hard worker. And so he went, he calls me and he goes, listen, Bobby Knight. I'm not going to shut you out of this interview, but be careful. All right? Bobby, it doesn't take much to set Bobby off. So I'm going, I do something. I mean, it would be exciting to just say hello to Bobby. 
night. So Brookie gave us 10 minutes into the interview. It's going. It's very charming, you know, and all that. And I'm sliding a question. I cannot remember the question. So I asked the question, and then there's like this long pause. And then the next thing you hear is probably the next thing. Brookie, who the hell is that? <laughs> and, and Brookie looks at me, and Brookie goes, you don't have to answer that, Bobby. Um, Angela, look sit in the corner. We'll finish the interview. <laughs> That's how low I started yeah. from. I mean, I not only was a sidekick, I was a sidekick who was learning from right. a master who knew everyone and did everything. Wow! And yeah. I, it was the luck. It was the lucky experience of my life. Yeah, what a great, what a great learning experience. And Angela, I will. I got to tell you the truth. I got to tell you, uh, I have told the story uh, fifty times uh, when people ask me about you and. Uh, and you know, I'm just I've always been fascinated with your career. And when you were a rookie, I was a diehard listener. And I always tell the story. A guy calls up, John. Okay, he calls up. Rookie answers, and he and somehow he identified he's a student at the University of Pennsylvania. And he's talking, and he's not making any sense. He's making no point. He's kind of mumbling. You're having a hard time understanding him. He hangs up, and Brookie is being as nice to this guy, you know, just trying to put a positive spin on it. You know, Mr. Positivity, don't hear anything from Angela. He hangs up, and Angela says to Brookie, Brookie, is it me, or have they lowered the standard, standards at the University of Pennsylvania? <laughs> and Angelo, I mean, this is over 30 years ago. I remember that call, and I remember laughing and thinking, you know, not that I'm anybody, but I'm just thinking, this guy's got chops. You know, this guy is funny. And, and I got to ask you, and that leads to, like, did you, I know you said, you, you, know, you, you know, you weren't a class clown or anything, but, you know, just from your comedy chops, uh, like, like, you know, did you have a favorite comedian? I mean, nowadays on my Facebook, I just watch Don Adams from Get Smart get interviewed by Johnny Carson on Facebook. You know, wow. this, this nine-minute interview. I saw George Carlin uh, and Merv Griffin yesterday, a 1965 clip yep. of George Carlin. Wow. You know, Rodney, old clips, like, have access. But Don like, Rickles. Did you, you seem to, you know, you love, you know, Dom Herrera and, you know, these guys. I mean, did, did you always have a, a fascination, you know, to these Great comics. All right. Well, I I have been addicted to television my whole life, so I've watched more TV than you could ever imagine. And uh, for a long time, I was a sports writer. I had late hours. I loved Johnny Carson, but it's not like I was. I never thought I was doing any of that. I just assumed I was going to live my life as a newspaper guy. And um, so, if, if if any of that, I absorbed any of that by accident. It wasn't like I was I was prepping myself, or I was doing that. I love comedy. I love Carlin. Carlin was amazing. Jackie Mason. I love the cadence, the way he, the timing of what he did. But all of it, I was absorbing just as man, not as somebody who was trying to do that stuff. And but what? See, here's the thing. When I first went to WSC as a full time, after the first show, Sixty calls me in, and I think I knocked it out of the park. Because I'm given very long-winded, uh, cerebral answers on uh, football and all this stuff. And he took me down and he said, listen, I think we got a problem here. And I said, what's the problem? Like, you don't think you're doing journalism. Your journalism career ended when you signed your contract here. You're doing entertainment. You have to make people laugh. You have to do things that are provocative and fun. I brought you in for that because Brookie is more, he's too lovable. I need you to give me that element. And to his credit, I mean, to Biggie's credit, he took me along the first couple of years and showed me how to use something that I guess I had inside somewhere that I had never, that I hadn't been using. I did occasionally do an art part time show, but um, I, you know, it was like anything else. I had to go to school on it mm. and figure out, well, how do I turn this into something that's more fun? And, you know, over time, with his training, I started to pick up that element of it. But it took a long time. I never, if you heard all interviews where I was the guy being interviewed by like Steve Bradley or Howard Epstein, I was just a serious-minded journalist. It was a whole different deal. So yeah. with that with that role of controversial and just uh, kind of provocative, um, just similar to what you said about the Flyers, uh, what athletes down the road 
you know, did you have some contentious relationships with, you know, in any of the four major sports? Like, what are, what are some of the ones that stand out where somebody was, like, really pissed at you that, you know, whether it's in person or they came after you? And all of the above is uh, you can't answer that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right. Well, let me just say, like, almost every coach or manager I ever covered hated me. All right? Buddy Ryan despised me. Uh, the first half mid-season of Buddy's first year here, I did an analysis of all the promises he had been had made, and you know, and it was bad. I mean, I really ripped him. I ripped him upside down. And this wasn't a short story. Back then, we wrote long analytical pieces that were vicious, and that was a vicious thing. It's one of the most vicious things I ever wrote. And I came and he didn't attack me. He just for the remainder of that season, he acted like I didn't exist. So he never, I would always ask questions because I was the inquirer. I was the big boy in the room. I had the power. You know, I had the biggest, the biggest readership. And um, I would say, buddy, uh, why did you punt uh, in that play there? And it was like cricket. He just wouldn't answer. They'd wait eight or 10 seconds and someone else would ask a question. I did. But I kept doing it. At that point, I had to establish to my forces that I was still trying to do my job. And he wasn't doing his. But um, nothing was done about it. For the remainder of that year, um, he just um, ignored me 100%. Took years, years later for him to get over that. But, Angel- um, Angelo, and- didn't, you, didn't you win a Pulitzer Prize on an article you wrote about, Buddy Ryan? That year. Or I was nominated. I was finalist. I was Pulitzer in his second for that Pulitzer that year. But... Um, I applied journalistic standards to cover the team. I was never friendly with the people that yeah. I covered yeah. because I was trained at Columbia not to do that. But they said to me, "There, you're really going to go into sports. Cover it like you cover City Hall. Cover it like they cover the White House. Put them under the gun. Ask the hard questions. So have that approach to it. Mm. And that is the approach I took, and it alienated Lots and lots of people. I mean, uh, um, I got, uh, there, there are a couple of times when I got attacked in the locker room. Greg Garrity saved me one time. Who's the defensive back? Ray, I can't remember his last name now. He was with Wes Hopkins back there. He came after me, and he could have killed me. Mm. <laughs> wow. I, got, I was just saved by somebody else in the locker room <laughs> when somebody physically att- attempted to get me. And just so there's no question it, I cannot defend myself. I would have died. <laughs> well, we assume that. <laughs> <laughs> well, you saw me when I tried to catch that ball in the outfield. Well, uh, yes. Uh, well, but for the for the audience out there, uh, it was actually it was history, Angela. You made history because it was the yep. first game at Bright House Field, first game ever, two thousand and four. Yep. So the first game, yep. WIP just did a broadcast that morning, and we were all out in the tiki bar. And you can you can uh, stop me if I get this wrong, but I think I got it right because I set enough people up for the for you on this. Uh, we're all out there in the tiki bar area and right right over the wall. And sure enough, I think it was Jimmy Rollins hits the first home run ever at Bright House Field, new ballpark. Uh, yeah, comes right at Angelo, right at him. Yep. And Perfect. and you pulled an Edward Scissors hand <laughs> and it clanged off your metal hands and and went. And unfortunately, you never heard the end of that. So as you alluded to earlier. Uh, every time we had a guest in spring training, I'd bring a player up and I'd tell him that story while they were going up the stairs, and I'd say, "Just get him at the very end on you know missing that home run ball by Jimmy Rollins." So. But it hit you. It did right, hit you in the hands. All, oh no, it hit me dead center in the hands. <laughs> all right, but here's the thing. All right, first of all, he says, "Unfortunately, no, not unfortunately." He had incredible fun with this, and it wasn't one year. He was still having guys ask me about it. Five years later, I know, I know. or ten and, years. No, I mean every every guy that we come in at some point going. So did you really have a crack at Brown's first home run? That would have been a very valuable ball if you could have bought it. No, he killed me on it. But I, that kind of believe me when I tell you, when it comes to actually moving this large body around, it does not move well at all. All right, it doesn't. And I 
have no ability, none, zero. You know, we're coming up on spring training, Angels. So I got to ask you, you know, that Tiki Bar, and you've in- interviewed all kinds of people. I got to ask you about one of your favorite uh, people, and uh, it was always great radio when you'd have Dallas Green on. What do you? What can you tell us about uh, Dallas and, and the relationship you have with him? You know, it was almost entirely on the air, but he knew right. pretty early on. He knew pretty early on that I, I loved him. I love that kind of John Wayne character, that mm. really rugged type, because I would be the exact opposite. <laughs> and, you know, I'm positive that if I had actually been in Philadelphia when he was the manager, <laughs> he would have hated He would have you. <laughs> no, <laughs> killed me. Physically, he would have assaulted me, and he would have been right to do so. All right? <laughs> but the thing about it was, I just loved the guy. He was He was so lovable, and he was so... He was such a great interview because even when he knew he shouldn't answer the question, John, he answered the question. Right, yep. He got in so much trouble. One yeah. time he ripped Scott Rowland. Remember yep. that? I, Matt? I totally oh, yeah. remember that. Yep. And, and, and then the next year, and he would like get into there'd be all these controversies. And then the next year I put in for him and he knew he shouldn't do it, but he would do it. And he, the only one that ever called me Angie. Angie. He would always Angie. call me Angie. Yep. And he was just the most, he was the most honest person I ever interviewed consistently. Mm-hmm. He couldn't tell you any. If he felt it, he said it. And he knew he would get in trouble, and he said it anyway. Well, and I loved him for yeah, that. Yeah. He was great. He's just a great man. I, I can't tell you what a loss it is that he's no longer there. And he had such a loud oh. voice when you guys would do that interview, oh. the interview from the ballpark up in the broadcast booth. <laughs> the windows would be open. The players would be out on the field. He's ripping somebody that's out on the field. And I'm, I'm going, oh, my God, I'm going to get some shrapnel on this one. Uh, <laughs> yep, he, he had it all. He had it all. He's hey, my all-time favorite. All time. And, and in terms of intimidation, too, uh, you know, the 93 season, uh, you know, it, that, that, you know, Macho Row, I know you didn't spend a lot of time in the ballpark, uh, you know, that year, but, you know, you wound up, you know, talking about it a lot. Uh, you know, that group um, was crazy. I mean, did you have any run-ins with, uh, you know, Pete Ankelvillias and, the, you know, all the, the guys from uh, Macho Row that year? No, the thing, the thing about it was I literally could not go there because I could not be protected. Right, all right? Right. They hated, they hated, that team hated WIP the way no other team did yeah. in the 30 years I've been there. This is Jim Pergosi. You, I, I don't know if you guys remember this. It was front page news in the Daily News. Um, he said that um, the people that work at WIP sleep with their sister. Yeah, yeah. And he, oh, it was ugly. And, and he got, I mean, Dawson hated us. We had this, this was, it was around that time they had a terrible accident with Dalton and Dykstra, and they hit the tree, and um, I guess they didn't like the way we were talking about that, although I thought we were not over the line on that stuff. But um, they just, it was such an animosity. And I can remember the peak of it was where we sent Glenn Macnow there. And Glenn Macnow was there to ask a question representing WIP during a news conference. <laughs> Throwing them to the wolves, the sheep to the wolves. Do you remember? No, I know. <laughs> so the minute the Pagosi sees that somebody from WIP is there, and Glenn knows he has to ask the question, none of the other reporters will ask him anything because they know that Matt now being there representing WIP in that moment is the story. So there's this long pause when Fergosi sits down to take questions. And there's long pause. And then you hear Glenn in a quivering voice go, So, Jim, how's the team? (laughs) 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 And I wasn't there. But from what I understand, John, I don't know if you were in the building, in the room that night. But from what I hear, is that if looks could kill <laughs> yeah. funeral services. And he had, a, he had an intimidating look. Point. He did have an intimidating <laughs> look. But I, I'll say this about uh, 93. Andrew, I think you probably at that point had the highest ratings you've ever had because the city got yeah. lit up in 93. The yep. games were so exciting. And I remember, right. you know, and everybody was listening to WIP. 
and and the great irony all these years later, all these years later, is that Mitch Williams is a part of our show and is a great friend. And <laughs> you wouldn't have thought that would have ever happened. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, and almost all the guys, Dalton I got to know a little bit later, He's such a great guy and, and another great Mossboro. Such a tremendous yep. leader. Larry Anderson, phenomenal. And many years later, maybe, maybe, they saw just a little bit of the merit of what we were doing. Right. We, were, we were kind of the, we were a reflection of the fan base of 1990, which was a little harsher and tougher and blue collar. You know what it was? WIT, you're right that that was probably our best period for ladies because we thought, at least we thought, we were representing the fan base. Yeah. It was fun. Mm-hmm. Man, that was fun. Angela, who of all athletes and or coaches or management, looking back, who are you the most wrong about? If you can be honest with yourself and like someone, that, a player or a manager or a coach, someone that you ripped that in hindsight you're saying, you know what, I was probably wrong in this guy and this guy actually turned out to be a good Player, coach, manager, or whatever. Who, who would who would be that one person that you wish, um, wish you could take back? Top, I would say, I, you know, here's the thing. I was wrong, but I'm not sure I want to take it back. Right? And, and it's Charlie Manuel. Because when Charlie Manuel came in, mm. I really wanted Jim Leland. I thought Jim Leland would have been a great choice for that team. But here's the thing. So Charlie wins the, the, the championship. They That was the greatest. I was there for when they won, it was awesome. Um, but I now look at it and I go, even today on the year, John, I mean, it was the greatest era of, of Phillies baseball. Remember, they won one. If Leland was there, they would have won three. You know, <laughs> so I, even though I was born, I know it was the tasty who had no idea what he was doing. The truth of the matter is, the players play great for him because they love them. Yep, they they love them. That was the part I was not able to calculate. But I still don't think he did that great with those teams. I thought, yeah, to watch your front of games, you probably can't say it. I'm calm, you probably can't say it. You won more than one. Those were amazing baseball teams. Amazing. Yeah, yeah. Well, it was a great run, and I wish Angela. I wish we had been. Uh, Listen to the silence, people. Listen <laughs> to the silence. They know it. You're talking they to two it. people that are in charge of the uh, Charlie <laughs> yeah, Manuel yeah. fan club. We love Charlie. And I know. John's over here. He's he can't wait to give you his quiz. He always gives everybody a quiz. But we'd we'd be remiss if we had okay. you on and we didn't ask you your fondest memories of Wing Bowl. Uh, well, okay. you know, okay. I mean, we got to ask. It was one of the greatest, if not the greatest, radio promotion of all time. Uh, you know, uh, another Al Morgani production. Al Morgani production. Yeah, the way it started yep. it, again, accidentally, it grew into the biggest thing. If, if you can, if you look back, you know, what's what's the funniest thing you think ever you ever looked out and saw when you were up on that <laughs> which, stage? There's a lot of things out there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah we saw a lot. <laughs> all right, there was a, there was a lot of great stuff. It, obviously, the um. The most, the craziest thing that ever happened there, um, until 2005, the wind ball of 2005, we were just opening the gates at five o'clock and people could come in. And by 5.15, 5.20, every seat was filled in a 20,000 seat arena. 5.20, 5.30 in the morning, you see a bunch of fat guys eat chicken wings, right? But this was the problem. It was finally knocked out on us that year because um, the Eagles were going to the Super Bowl. And the whole concept of doing wing ball was whenever going to the Super Bowl, let's have our own party. That's what that, that was entirely Al's idea um, when we first started it. That year, we had no control over anything. It was insane. We couldn't get into the building, into the Wells Fargo mm. Center, which I guess then might have been the Wachovia, whatever it was called. We couldn't get in ourselves because there was no way to control the hordes of people that were waiting to push through the doors as soon as they opened. We we would get there like 4.30. Some of us, I mean, we got clawed of security people trying to get us into the building. And they blew up the place. I'm telling you, um, maybe 10,000 people never got in and broke through the windows mm. Created an incredible mess. It was it looked like Beirut uh, out there after after it was over. Um, that's the thing I remember. That's when we knew they came to us 
And the people who run the building came north and said, you can never hold this again unless you click at the crowd because we can't control that many people. And my group, my favorite moment in the wing bowls themselves was 819. There was a really great looking guy named Salah. And, and this was my the greatest highlight. I think it perfectly captures the spirit of Wingo. And Slot was there, and he was among the leaders with about five minutes to go. And he was, again, great. He had, I mean, literally professional leaders. And this guy was a tall, lanky, Greek-looking guy. And he stood up, and everybody couldn't understand what was going on. And he kind of lurched back, and a perfect waterfall of flat came projecting out of his mouth onto the table. People were scattering everything. And it was, it was so majestic that for every wing ball after that, we put it on the big screen when we thought somebody was getting sick. And it's the proudest moment of wing ball. And as I look back, if you remember us for anything, remember us for the greatest vomit in the history of Philadelphia. Well, I remember in 2009, uh, right after we won the World Series, the next wing ball that January, you guys were hell-bent on having the World Series trophy at wing ball. And I had to fight an uphill battle internally to have the (laughs) – to have the World Series trophy, the sacred World Series trophy at Wing Bowl. So Where it could we, get I, thrown up on. I finally got agreement to do it. We had the guy, we had an intern with the white gloves, Craig, who was uh, carrying it around. And I was, I was next to the guy the whole time. And, you know, I was probably more anxious than anybody. And we, we come out of the, uh, the tunnel, and next thing you know, people start throwing beer and all kinds of stuff on the trophy. And I'm yelling at the guys and yep. screaming at them. Uh, yes, it was. Uh, I, I brought many a person. Larry Bow, I remember when he was a manager. I brought him out, and he knew about wing bowl, but didn't really. We come out in the backstage. We come out where you can see the stage, and then all the people out in the stands. And he looked at me and said, "What the hell?" <laughs> he didn't know yeah. what was coming. And I think that basically describes it. What the hell? No, we 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 had a lot of famous people over the years, and I I think I I can say this with certainty. None of them ever came back a second time. (laughs) (laughs) They they either got pelted with beer or God knows what. But it was uh, it was just what you know. It it went twenty six years, and um, I fought to keep it at the very end. But it is it was so politically incorrect. There is no place for it. It never happened again. Yeah, it'll always be preserved in our memory. It's the most disgusting thing <laughs> the city ever did. Well, and I know uh, I, the, my buddy, the fanatic, had his run. He would bring his hot dog oh. launcher over and shoot. Uh, yeah, he would shoot. Yeah, he would shoot wings into the crowd, John. You know, for a stretch there. And no, but I, am I right? At the end, it got even for the fanatic? Yeah, the fanatic had to pull out of it, of that one. Now. Yeah. And yeah, it got a little a crazy. You know what it was? The all the wingettes, all, all the wingettes wanted to yep. pose with the fanatic, right. and uh, yep. you know, uh, it, it got a little crazy. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's You're like a young Angela Gattoni in the sorority. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, uh, and Angel, I got to just tell you, just as a listener and listening to that, you know, uh, and what I thought made it, and this isn't just blowing smoke, but, uh, you know, the way you approached it, I thought is kind of a sporting event. You know, you called the play-by-play of that, and it, yep. that play-by-play call really, uh, and everybody, you know, you had the, you know, Glenn out there and Rhea and everybody, you know, but uh, position, but, you know, just the play-by-play of it, uh, just made for great radio. And did you get that sense, too? Like, I'm going to call this, like, straight, like a straight sporting event? Well, the first few years, we didn't, we didn't know what to do. Like, we were, there was so out of control, we called it like it was part of a goof. But then I started over maybe 10, 12 into it. I started going, well, why don't we just call it straight and act like this is another big sports event? And from that point on, we had analysts there. So what do you think here? How is he going to be able to get through the next five minutes? <laughs> and we would act like it was real and these were athletes. And the 400-pound guys stuffing chicken wings in their mouth. And we're acting like, you know, the bases are loaded in the ninth inning. 
Yeah, at that point, but again, that was an evolutionary process over time. Yeah. We realized the best way to present it was to act like it was another major sport for them, Philadelphia. And, you know, at the end, it kind of was. got a car. We gave away trucks and cars and all sorts of great drivers. So these guys, you know, well, here's the best thing about the Wingo. It turned regular guys for one day into a sport hero. And that was probably the best thing after with it. Yeah. There's a lot of people who no one ever would have known got, got ovations by 20,000 people in an arena. Yeah. That would have never happened. Yeah, no question. And it was, and like I said, great radio. It was funny. And you know what it reminded me of, John? Like we're we're hearing uh, Kevin Harlan uh, doing yeah, radio. Uh, yeah, when yeah. a streaker or a guy goes yeah. on and he calls yeah. it, he's to the forty, he's to the thirty, and that's kind of how uh, you know I always yeah. thought of your uh, your play by play. You, you yeah. never did play by play, did you, Angelo? Uh, no, that was only chicken wing. I've never <laughs> done anything but chicken wing. <laughs> Very special. I'm a specialist. Perfect, perfect. All right, well, I got John. You've been very uh, generous with your time here, Ange. We appreciate it. John, this has been a tradition for a few years now. John's going to hit you with the quiz, and I'm going to keep score. And first of all, Angela, I'd like to say, too, that, uh, you know, again, 28 years, and and Tom's worked with you for 32. Uh, You've given me a lot of gray hair. uh, But I've really have enjoyed working with you, and I I, uh, cherish our relationship we've had over the years. So here. Well, it has been fun. It's been fun. A lot of stories. So uh, How many questions, John? We have eight questions. All right. Okay? Eight questions. Okay. We, we think if you get six of eight, and it's your own life, so you should be good. If you get six of eight, we'll, we'll, we'll give you a – Fanatic's going to give you something from the Fanatic's uh, closet, prize closet. Yeah. All right. So the first question is, uh, as you had mentioned, you went to classical high school in Providence, Rhode Island. Yep. Which of these celebrities did not go to classical high school? So three of them went to classical high school – one did not. Who's wow. one? So one is Robin Green, who's Emmy and Golden Globe uh, award-winning writer and producer. He did Sopranos and Northern Exposure. You get Frederick Irving, who's a U.S. ambassador to Iceland and also U.S. ambassador to Jamaica, two different places. You got Laugh-In actor, comedian Artie Johnson, or Albert Lithogue, who's the Egyptologist and curator of the New York Metropolitan Museum of Art. Is it Robin? Artie. Artie Johnson. Artie Johnson, Johnson <laughs> is correct. Artie Johnson did yep. not go to classical high school. It's a great name drop there, John. We haven't had Artie Johnson as one of our uh, answers. But yeah. Laughing. He laughing. was big on laughing. He was. Huge yeah. on laughing. No, he wouldn't have gone there. All right. So, <laughs> okay. so we're going to go to URI. So same same uh, type category. Which of these celebrities did not go to University of Rhode Island? Okay. So, again, three did go to Rhode Island. One did not. C- uh, a is CNN's Christian uh, Amanpour. Right. Uh, B is uh, General Michael Flynn. C is Philly's promotions guru, Scott Brandreth. And D is actor Telly Savalas. Actor Telly Savalas. <laughs> Telly Savalas is correct. correct. Two for two. You're on a Scott roll. Brandreth usually is our phony answer, but uh, he actually went to the University <laughs> of Rhode, Rhode Island. Rhode so Island. there it is. Yes, as well as my buddy Todd Eby. All right. Uh, we mentioned we talked about Wing Bowl. So, who won the first Wing Bowl in 1993 at the Wyndham Franklin Plaza Hotel? And again, I'm, I'm getting this off Wikipedia, so I better be right on this one. Is it Eric no. Gentleman E? You wanted to say the answer? Yeah, I know the answer. Carmen. Carmen, Carmen the beast from the Carmen East, Cordero. Very yep. good. All right. Carmen Cordero was the first winner. Yeah. Three for three. All right. This is, this, is, uh, this is a tough one right here. Which of these athletes, because Tom Brady just did this, which of these athletes have not won at least seven world championships and multiple MVPs? So three of wow. these athletes have won at least seven world championships and multiple MVPs. One is not. Uh, former Montreal Canadian Jean Bellevue, former Celtic great Bill Russell, former Yankees catcher Yogi Berra, and former Yanks pitcher and outfielder Babe Ruth. I know Ruth and Berra both had more than and they both were MVPs. It's a, um, a trick question, Angelo. I'm going to give you a hint on that one. All right. Who, um, hold on. Um, I'm going to, I think the answer is Bill Russell. Bill Russell, no. He, win. he did win multiple he MVPs, win and, he won, and he won 11 championships. But he won multiple. He won more than one MVP? Yeah. Really? The answer is and actually Babe Ruth. It's a trick question because Babe Ruth. They didn't have the MVP back then. They started in 1933. Oh, so. come on. Really? Come on, John. <laughs> All right, we'll give it to you. We'll, gi- we'll give it to you. Babe Ruth not how many, how many times have you right set me up? Good. That was a little payback. Wow. <laughs> yeah, I set you up. Three out of four. All right, question number five. 
Who is not an original member of Prism's classic 90s show, The Great Sports Debate? Who is not an original member of Prism's classic 90s show? Glenn McAnell, Mike Missinelli, Al Morgani, Jason Stark. Mike Missinelli. Mike Missinelli, very good. All right, you should know this one since you're with him. Uh, I was the host. How would I not know that one? I'm the damn host. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> All right. You worked with Jonesy uh, for a long time. How many goals did Keith Jones have in his NHL career? If you can tell me without the uh, without the multiple choice. No. Oh, okay. So here's can, your multiple choice. I cannot. Right. 58, 94, 117, or 150? 58, 94, 117, uh, or 150? 117. 117 is correct. Really? Jones will be very impressed. Yeah, All I right. was going to go on the low end there. How about All right. that? Two more. Uh, I know that one of your favorite uh, actresses is local uh, Maria Bello, right? What yeah. movie yep. was not one in which Maria Bello starred in? So three of them she was in, one she was not. Okay. Coyote Ugly, A History of Violence, um, Grown Ups, or The Big Lebowski? Coyote Ugly, History I'm of struggling. Violence, Grown Ups, or The Big Lebowski? No, it's either the first one or the last one. What was the first one again, John? Coyote Ugly, A History of Violence, Grown Ugly. Ups, or Big Lebowski? I'm going to say she was not in Big Lebowski. You are correct. correct. All right, you're on a roll, <laughs> except for that one trick oh. question. So now we're going to end on this one. Uh, one, of your, one of your favorite guests, and, you know, and, and I'm, I'm going to tell you a quick story, too. Arlen Specter, right, was on your show every Monday uh, for a long time. Well, yep. So we well, all, when after we won the World Series, we uh, Chase Utley knew somebody uh, who worked in Arlen Specter's. I think it was his sister-in-law worked in Arlen Specter's office. So uh, when the team went down to Washington D.C. for a road trip, uh, Arlen Specter was going to give us all a tour. So there was like eight players. There was uh, you know Ruben, Pat Gillick. I was on that trip. And he gave us he gave us a tour. Well, we actually ate at the Senate dining room, which is the ah, most exclusive ah, dining room, right? And yep. we, we had a guy. Yep. I don't know if you remember this picture. Rick White was our, one of our reliever uh, relievers, and Rick White was crazy. So we're at this big table, all centers everywhere, you know, all of us, and uh, we were the opposite of Arnold Specter. And I turned to Rick White and I said, "Hey, ask him uh, whether he's going to be talking baseball on Monday instead of uh, Eagles football." You know, now that we've we've all been here. So Rick goes right away. Goes, uh, um, Senator Specter. Um, well, how come, uh, you know, are you going to talk baseball on Monday when you call into Angela's show? He's like, Rick, I'm very impressed that you know that I call into WIP every Monday. And he said, uh, don't be so impressed. This guy just told me. <laughs> <laughs> so there you go. But I, I enjoyed having our, or listening to our own specter. But one of your loyal listeners, frequent guests on your show, he served in the Korean War uh, under what military branch? Was it the Air Force, Navy, Army, or Marines? Wow. Wow, I'm just have to take a wild guess. I'm going to say Army. He was in the Air Force. How about that? Wow. Yeah, really? Spectre. I did yeah, not know that. Spectre. Really? There you go. All right, well, that was six out of eight. We told you that's the benchmark, yeah. and there was even a trick question in there, so you did very well. Nice. Does he win that's anything, John? Goal. He wins something from the Fanatic prize closet. <laughs> okay. No, listen, I don't smell like that one because it would probably smell like the Fanatic. <laughs> yes, it will. Give it to someone else. Like Low Tide <laughs> Island, right? Or <laughs> 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 uh, Petting Zoo. Angelo, we really appreciate you coming on. Thanks for uh, spending time with yeah, us. Yeah, really uh, appreciate it. Great, great time. And, it was a lot of fun, and, and so we are going to yeah, and we're going to miss you. Uh, you know, I ch- talked to Wechter today, and uh, he's already in mourning that he's not going to be down in Clearwater this year. But and uh, you know, so we're going to miss you guys. It sounds like. Yeah, um, it's probably just as well. I know a lot of the players and the people on the field <laughs> don't care for me too much either. So it's probably just as well. But boys, enjoy down there, and uh, we're really looking forward to the season. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. All right. Thanks, Angela. I really appreciate it. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. All Bye. right. Thanks, Angela. All right. Angelo Cataldi. Well, that was fun, John. Yeah, the audio was a little it, tricky yeah. there. I'm not sure what was going on. with. Yeah. But it was, uh, but it was great style. I, I love exploring. We could I, have had a part two to that one, John. I totally. got so well, many questions. You know, I've worked with them for 28 years, and I didn't know a lot of that stuff, and I'm glad we explored kind of the early career. And uh, there's Yeah, he doesn't talk about that much. Yeah, and, and there were so many different ways we could have gone, right? Yeah. I mean, just – we didn't really talk about the early radio career, you know, um, and, and the transition. The great sports debate. He right. mentioned, you know, we mentioned real quick, but uh, I mean, all those mediums have changed so much yeah. since he's been been in the business, right? So, yeah. Uh, and just all the stations that changed. You know, they went uh, IP went FM. They remember simulcast 
on on YSP. Uh, they they started on August uh, August of 2011. So you know, three weeks later, two weeks later, after they had this big move and big promote, well, then that all yeah. gets obviously uh, all anyone can. You know, 9/11. I remember I was actually on my way to WIP for yeah. um, uh, during 9/11. So uh, just a, there's just so many things we could have gone. Yeah. Uh, I love when when he's talking about the contention because I've I've seen it with it. You know, I've got shrapnel just by putting people on the show, and then other people that maybe weren't on the show but heard that somebody was on WIP, whether it's a player, coach, management. I mean, as you know, I've I've become the bad guy. Because I'm, they, they associate me with WIP. They can't be mad at Angelo, you know, personally, so they get mad at me. So I've, I've endured a lot of shrapnel over the years. <laughs> uh, well, it's almost like you have to sep- separate yourself out, uh, you know, uh, from being a listener and an employee. And, like, this was a great idea. It was your idea. To, hey, let's bring Angelo on. And my first reaction was, oh, you know, because there are certain people in the, either in the organization or, or just as a, a player. And, yep. uh, you know, and just like he said, well, it's a good thing we're not going to Clearwater because, you know, they don't want me anyway. But, uh, but as a listener, you know, it's, it's entertaining radio. It, it's – 30 over 30 years in the same market with you know having the success that he's had you know it's it's pretty impressive uh, and the athletes that play the game like when they're yeah. athletes are the ones that go on to have careers in media i mean look mm. at keith jones wasn't a star player for the flyers you know he was on a top line and yeah. um and a very popular player but he played the game he went on wip and he you know dealt with the media you know, Ricky Batalico, he, same thing, was very friendly to the media. Look what he's doing. You get Trey Thomas and, you know, look at all the people that are in media that are ex-athletes. Yeah. They were all good with the media and they played the g- It's a game. Mm. They played the game and, and it's taken them to that next level. But there's a lot of guys that couldn't care about being, they don't want to be in media when they're done. You know, so they don't yeah. care. They don't have to play that game. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And like you said, he's had a, l- a lot of guys who've come on and been their co- his co-host. And, yep. Uh, yeah, it's been uh, a fascinating career. It was great he could spend some time. And uh, I guess that's about it for us here, John. Uh, Chicks and Pete's once again took yeah, care of us. Yeah. I really want to thank uh, – it was Alex and uh, Rocco, of course. Yep. So uh, Yeah, the Chickies and Pete's here in Warrington. And uh, we talked about it before. It's, it's a great one. I mean, uh, we're watching – what is it? It's a Thursday afternoon, and we got golf on. We've got uh, some basketball. ESPN's on. It's it's a great place. 20, you know, they've always got something on TV, and uh, of course, the food we love, and you know, they always treat us well here, John. That's right. So, and uh, we should be back next time, I think. Right? Yeah, I hope we'll so. Be yeah, back next next time. Yep, yep. So it's all good. Uh, thanks for tuning in, everybody, and uh, we will catch up with you next time. Backstage.